Good morning. Let's try that again real strong. Good morning. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Man, I am, I am right now, I'm kind of tingly and, and, and just the presence of God is in this house. And I tell you what, people, people don't need to learn something. They need to encounter someone. People are coming to church and all over the country, and many do not get to experience God. They just get to hear about God. And, and, and if you had nothing else so far, uh, hopefully you experienced and encountered God today. And when you're in worship like that, you need sometimes just kind of focus. The Bible says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So when you're worshiping, fix your eyes on the object of your affection. You don't, you don't worship worship, you worship God. And so when you worship God, then, then you ask him to kind of speak to you and minister to you. And, and sometimes you'll get something from God in there that supersedes anything you can get anyplace else. And it all has to do with the disposition of your heart and your hunger. The Bible says if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, those people will be what? Filled. Those people will be filled. Okay, so come hungry, come expectant, and, and come to encounter God. If it's new to you, I understand that. I can remember my first experiences, encounters in a church like this, and, you know, people were raising their hands, and some of them were going through that journey, you know, where they're holding the TV, you know what I mean? And some of them did the, you know, the goalposts, and, you know, and you got up to that high. And that's a big deal. I know that's a process, it's a journey, but it's all just about surrender. In essence, it's just putting your antenna up to God and turning your receiver on so that you can receive not just information, but something supernatural, some insight and, and, and something from God that can literally change your life. Amen? Woo, yeah. I'll tell you what, I'm ready to preach. Here we go. So, so you know, I want to say something else. We saw an announcement there uh, about three services, and, and I just want you to know um, we are growing to be able to reach more people. We, I feel the comf- I was more comfortable. How many know God's not interested in our comfort, is he? He's interested in our character, right? So, so for the sake of the character of what God's trying to do in our church, we have been called to grow. So we're not, we're not, I, I liked, there were things about 200 people in the church that were much nicer for me. I knew everybody's name. I didn't mind if everybody had my phone number and I had everybody else's phone number. I knew everybody's kids' names and birthdays. And it was cozy and comfortable and wonderful. But God has called us for something more. And we're supposed to, di- we're supposed to connect the disconnected to God, godly people in a godly place, and reach people within our sphere of influence. And that's not my job. That's our job. Can I have an amen out there? And so if you call this your church home, this is your spiritual family, or maybe you're a frequent flyer, that just means you like it, but you haven't just kind of crossed that line of commitment. Or you're on the fringe. You're just checking us out. Just keep checking us out. Check it out. <laughs> Do an up, down, and get, it over, get over with it. Get it over with. But once you're done checking it out, then God wants to kind of check you into some responsibility. And our responsibility is to take the good news that God has printed. It's already been printed, the incorruptible truths of Jesus Christ, and give these away. So you and I are the newspaper boys and the newspaper girls. Okay, so the good news has been printed. It's like when I was a boy, it's been like a bundle of papers. It's at the end of your driveway, and it will sit in the rain. It will be blown away by the winds and the, and, and the, and the, circumst- and the seasons. If we don't open that thing up, take that good news and deliver it safely to its appropriate places, those people in our neighborhood, the ones nearby us. So I just want to encourage you. We're getting ready to go to three services. Let's fill the house so that we can present the gospel of Jesus Christ to people in a predictable yet powerful way that changes lives. What you just experienced, other people by the thousands need to hear. 
And you're a part of that process and that journey. So there's people in your neighborhood. There's people in your workplace. There's people in the cubicle right across from you. There's a guy that won't mow his lawn that you don't like, but Jesus loves him anyway. And you need to reach those people, amen, and invite them to church. All right? Can you do that with me? Amen. We're going to give you some resources next week to make that process and that journey. Uh, I was going to preach something from Luke 15, but I may get to that later. But uh, we, will, um, we will help you do that well in the coming weeks. We have an exciting series starting up right after graffiti. Can't wait to talk to you about that next week. But anyway, let's get into the continuation of our series. By the way, did I introduce myself? My name is PD, Pastor of Disaster, Pastor Derek, whatever you want to call me. <laughs> If I didn't say who I was, that's who I am. So welcome to Connect. But get your worship guides out. You can open those up. There's a place to take notes inside. We believe note takers are history makers. And so get in there and get some good notes. And you can use these in your devotional life. That's your time with God, hopefully early in the morning before you start your day, giving God the first fruits of your day. And he'll bless the rest of your day as a byproduct of that. But we've been talking uh, about the subject of graffiti, making your unique Mark on the world. Last week we talked about my design, and then this this week's going to build off of that, and it's going to be called my purpose. My purpose. A um, couple of key scriptures that I'm going to highlight. If you like to take more notes and study something during the week, but we're going to be reading from uh, Genesis chapter 45, and then also Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I'll actually build on this morning's message tonight in Sunday Night Live. And I'll explain what that's going to be about in a little bit. But I'm going to be, just highlight real quick a scripture that's not in your notes. Genesis 37, verse 5, the story of Joseph. And it says, Joseph had a dream. Everybody say a dream. In a nutshell, it was about him being a leader. And God really gave him a gift that led to his ultimate purpose. He, he was given the gift of leadership. Joseph got a dream, or you could say a picture or an image it was very vivid. It was very colorful inside and ultimately outside. And initially, as he received this dream, he presented it to other people, and it was offensive to those around him, in particular to his family and, and to his brothers. And a lot of times we receive something from God, and the way it's expressed can sometimes be offensive to those around us. But behind sometimes that offensive or, let's say, poor approach is sometimes something pure that God wants to bleed through and bring bring through and emerge in our lives. And sometimes we're like Joseph and what we do and what's been given to us from God, we go about it the wrong way. We present it or we walk it out the wrong way. Moses, one of the greatest uh, leaders uh, really of the Old Testament, he, uh, he had a, a picture or a vision or an experience, you could say, from God to deliver people. But he went about it initially the wrong way. He killed an Egyptian. And so sometimes what we do and how we do it can be offensive. It's presented the wrong way, but behind that, God is trying to bring something to the surface. If we can get some of our human frailties and character flaws and, and some of our issues worked out, God can bring out the plan or purpose of God. Are you tracking with me out there? And graffiti can be like that sometimes. Graffiti can have an offensive image to it. It can have an offensive presentation to it, scratched on walls or, or, or carved onto train you know, cars or things like that as we see on, on a regular basis. But if we don't add to it or we, or we uh, be careful not to, to express it the wrong way, something behind that might be pure and holy and from God. And God gave Joseph a dream. He gave him a vision when he was 17 years old. 
But he didn't understand what the purpose and plan of God was until he was 39 years old. And he had to have his character developed. And character, just as an aside, supports the purpose of God. It's the foundation for the purpose of God. In order for the purpose of God to be able to, to, be, able to be fulfilled, it has to be held up by something, and that's our character. And I believe we'll talk about that next week. But in this next text, you're going to see Joseph receives uh, this vision early on, but later on in life, in this particular text, he's 39 years old. And it's the first time he sees his brothers. And if you can imagine some of the sibling rivalry, rivalry you've had in your home, some of the family disputes maybe you've had, I doubt for most of us we haven't had our brothers want to kill us, literally, although we say those things, or actually you know, put us into slavery, sell us into slavery. But that's what Joseph's brothers did. They sold him into slavery. But many, many, many years Joseph uh, sees and experiences his brothers, and they come into his presence. And as they come in, the context is uh, the, the land that they've been uh, living in for about seven years had been productive and prosperous and doing really, really great. But in just this last two years, from 37 years old to 39, it came into a famine. And so Jacob, the father of Joseph, and also his brothers, sends his brothers to, to Egypt to get grain, to get food, because things are pretty sparse and things are pretty difficult. And that's how Joseph and his brothers collide and see each other. In Genesis 45, look in your notes and follow with me. That's the context. Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. They're shocked. What do you mean, you're Joseph? Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives. And these three next, these key words come up here. I want you to remember. It was to save lives that God sent me. Everybody say, God sent me. It's to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five, there will be no plowing or reaping. He prophesied of what was to come. But God sent me. There's those three words again. Two times, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. The third time, he tells them, God did this. God sent me. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. Now, you need to pay attention to this early on for this message to kind of make sense and apply to you. But basically, Joseph realizes at this moment in his life what the purpose and plan of God was for his life. Not at 17, at 39, ding, he has an aha, eureka moment, whatever you want to call it. This is when Joseph realizes what is going on. And so what I want to do is I want to answer the question that many of us have, how can you know the purpose of God for your life? How can I know the purpose of God for my life? Write this down. Number one, you must first believe you have a purpose. To actually find the purpose of God, you have to believe you have a purpose. This is really the number one question, whether you are conscious of it, unconsciously, inside each one of us, actually put there by God, there's this desire to know, why am I here? What's it all about? Living for the weekend, everybody's living for the weekend, I could sing a song, but I won't. Is it, is it, you know, is it just suck air, take up space, as I say, abuse God's grace, repent, do it all over again, go back to church the next week? No, there must be more. Everybody say more. more. 
So you must understand that God is a purposeful God, not a purposeless God. Everything he does was for and on purpose. Ecclesiastes 3.1, it's not in your notes, but another verse is in a second. But 3.1 says, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Trees were created with purpose. Rivers were created with purpose. Children were created, believe it or not, moms and dads, for a purpose. People, insects, mosquitoes, I don't know why, I'll ask when I get there, they were created with a purpose. Everything was created by God with a purpose. And he's not only made everything with a purpose, but he's put inside us, at least, those that were made and created in his image, according to Genesis 2, each of us has been put inside of us like a void. There's just like a hole in our heart that can only be filled by God. And what he's trying to fill in that void is connectivity with God and connection with what you're supposed to do while you're here until you're ultimately with God forever. Does that make sense? He wants to put that inside of you. And that's why in your notes it says, Ecclesiastes 3.11, he's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. He puts something inside you that longs for relationship with God. And it's in that relationship that you find out what you're called, what your purpose is for your life. And the best way to discover the purpose of God for your life, as we discovered and talked about last week, is to learn what your unique gifts are. All of you have these special abilities, these divine um, enablements that come from God. And you need to know and figure out how God made you. Last week, we had many people come to Growth Track and, and learn about how God made them and what their spiritual gifts are. And it was great just to hear about all these people figuring that out. But still, still to this day, 87% as a whole, believers are living unfulfilled lives because they're not aware of or practicing or living in their gifts, their design, the way God made you. Now, I went to the store recently. I went to, uh, I went to Walmart yesterday. Now, Walmart could be a message series all by itself. I take a lot of notes and I get tons of illustrations because you see a lot of different kind of people at a Walmart. Can I get an amen out there? Everybody know what I'm talking about? So, but I went there to, to find a particular thing. And what I want you to do is I want you to help me Try to deter, I think by seeing what I'm seeing, just by looking at it, you're going to be able to determine or decipher, uh, distinguish what the purpose of this object is. Now, don't say what it is, if you know what it is, but let's just, let's just, let's just talk about what maybe this is, okay? So don't get nervous. This didn't come from some place downstairs or my home, okay? See, I can touch it. Nobody will shake hands with me after church today, but, but this came from Walmart, okay? So uh, let's hypothesize. Let's have a couple of hypotheses about maybe what the purpose of this is, okay? So one of my hypotheses is I, 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 you put it down, and, then I, and I was thinking, what could that be? So I stepped back, and I'm looking at that, and I thought, you know, recently I was at the beach, and I've been at certain picnics. Maybe that's one of those ring toss kind of things. Maybe that's what the purpose of that is. It's a, it's a ring toss. Anybody? No? Nobody's buying on that one. I, I, I kind of felt that. The one that really kind of took it up another notch is I flipped it this way, and I thought, if I stuck this in the ground... Maybe it's a bird bath, you know what I mean? Little Tweety Birds kind of coming around the rim, you know, I thought about that, you know. I'm like, nah, 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 maybe. I flip that thing around and I'm like, you know, there's always cookies being, cookies being made in my house. Maybe it's a massive, it's a massive cookie cutter. It's a big cookie cutter. Anybody want some cookies? Anybody? Cookies? No? 
Nobody wants some cookies, right? No. See, you look at this, and, and by virtue of its design, you know, I thought, well, maybe for some of us short-haired guys, or maybe a little less than that, the bald-headed guys, I, I thought about the suction of this, you know what I mean? Sometimes hats don't stay on guys' heads, you know, and, the, and maybe it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, a, it's a designer cap, you know, for the, for the windy days this fall. No? Nobody? No. See, you can look at this, and you can kind of determine... It's designed by the way the designer made it. You know it has a specific purpose. Now, we won't get into the specifics of this purpose, okay, too much, because that would be a different message, and it can get pretty dirty and kind of gross around here. But you guys are kind of getting what my meaning, right? You can look at something, you can see something, and by virtue of its design, you can determine its purpose or its destiny by the way, what you see. Is that, everybody getting that? And listen, the designer made you a certain way, and God wants you to see, and others sometimes can help you see the way you were created. Your design is connected to your destiny or your purpose, and I'm going to show you that as we go forward. Now, write this down. I don't know if this is in your notes, but you need to look at how God made you in the spirit, not in the natural. So you, you and I look at this, and we look at this through the eyes of the natural, but God wants us to see it through the eyes of the Spirit. By the way, uh, this, this particular, the, the ministry of this is, the, is for the ministry. This is, if you see this, this gift is connected to the gift of deliverance. Deliverance. <laughs> anyway, some, some of you guys are getting that. You don't know what I'm talking about. All right. It tells you what I think of demons. Okay. So... <clears throat> Here's the second point. Understand that God is in control. First, you have to believe you have a purpose to find your purpose. And the second thing is you have to understand that God is in control. Now, you, you, you've heard these things, and I'm not just trying to blow smoke and, and, and just, just inspire you with, 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 with words, but you will experience when you figure out, this is my design, and you begin to walk in that, you're going to experience setbacks. And every setback for somebody that believes they have a purpose is a setup. When you believe you have a purpose, your setback is just a setup for something greater. Amen. A righteous man falls seven times and whew, rises again, okay? Weebles wobble and they don't fall down, okay? We just get back up again every time we get knocked down because we believe we were meant to stand up and stand on a purpose and plan for, that God has for our lives. And so when you find and believe you have a purpose, you will experience a predictable resistance to that purpose. People will do things and say things that are wrong to you, and they will resist you on every front. Sometimes the people closest to you will resist you in the purpose and plan of God for your life. But you need to understand that God has a purpose for your life. And he is still in control when life is out of control. God is good. Life is unfair. The world could be out of control. God is still in control. This is what believers believe. We exalt what God says above what we see. And then what we see begins to line up with what he says. Man, this is some good preaching, Pastor. Woo. <laughs> so Genesis 45, you know, I was reading this earlier, but, but Moses heard these words three times. God sent me. God sent me. He did what he did through this whole journey, this process. He did what he did. Three times we hear that. He had this incredible attitude that determined the outcomes for his life. And his brothers nearly killed him. He, he, he experienced his time in the pit. You know, he, he experiences a time in, in Potiphar's house and is falsely accused. And then he goes to prison. And then prison, he's promoted to the palace. I love all those P words. It makes a pastor very happy. But the whole time that 
that was going on, he understood that God was in control. So you understand what I'm saying? Does everybody track with me out there? You need to understand this. Write this down. No one can derail you from the purpose of God but you. No one. I should get a better amen out of there. No one can derail you from the purpose of God but you. It, it, pe- people can talk about you. They can come against you. They can resist you. You know what? I'm gonna, let me say this sweetly. Get over it. Get over it. Get over them. Get over what they think, what they say. Nothing can stop the plan of God but you. Never believe the lie that God doesn't have a purpose and he doesn't want to do something through you. So Romans 8.28, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who do what? They love God. And why? Because they're called according to his purpose for them. So that means when all this stuff on the outside is going on, under the hood, behind the scenes, God is working and orchestrating through some divine formula. It's like this this, this powerful cataclysmic thing that he's putting together to work for good. You doing something for God. He's doing that behind the scenes all the time. Isaiah 55, 10 says, As sure as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish... Please, God, no snow right away. So that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So he's saying, as sure as those things happen, and we know those things will happen over and over again, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So God is saying, my word, you can take to the bank and cash that check every time. His word will accomplish. It has the power for its own fulfillment, God's word. But you also need to know that you're saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. But God has a word for you. He doesn't just have the word. He has a word for you, a specific word and purpose for your life. And I could give you like 10 scriptures about that as well. But God has a plan for your life in accordance with Jeremiah 29. But you have to believe that. You have to believe that God's word is good, and you can trust it, that you can take it to the bank, and, and God, it's good news because God has a word for you. Amen? And, and, and what happens is sometimes we get that word, and then we experience tests. Tests, or my father would say, tests. You have these tests in life. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, which is the top-selling book in humanity next to the Bible, but it it's basically talks about, he says, life is a test. Life is a trust, and life is a temporary assignment. There's all these tests in life. God is shaping your character, and he's getting you to trust him and see the bigger picture. There's a trust. God has given you something. What are you going to do with it? Life is a temporary assignment. It's not, we get all these, it's one shot. We, life is not a dress rehearsal. It's the real show. You get one shot. Now, when you fail a test in this life, that's okay because you get to take it again. God will let you, when you fail a test, God will let you take it again. You don't necessarily get a do-over in life, but you get a fresh start in life. That's the kind of God that we have. But there's going to be tests and there's going to be trials. And you have to have a, a faith to believe, an, an optimism about it. Do you, know, do you know like the difference between an optimist and a pessimist? You know, some of you know you, you like being around optimists and you don't like being around pessimists. An optimist has that Tigger the Tiger attitude. You know what I mean? Today's going to be a wonderful day. Boing, boing, boing. They're all over the place. I used to have a Tigger the Tiger little character on my desk when I was a principal of a school. But some people are like Eeyore. 
their body language and their whining. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just, you can just feel it. it just, it's like slime getting on you. You know what I'm saying? And you want to back up from that. I, you ever heard about the pessimistic parachutist? So there's this pessimistic parachutist, and he, uh, he was going to be jumping out of a plane. And um, so the sergeant says, we're going to get to 10,000 feet, and then we're going to jump out of the plane. And when you, when you go out of the plane, you're going to take your right hand, you're going to pull it over your, to your left shoulder, and you're going to pull that ripcord at the appropriate time, and the parachute will come out. If it doesn't come out, then you're going to take your left hand, you're going to pull it over to your, your right shoulder, and you're going to pull the emergency ripcord. And if this one doesn't come out, this one's definitely going to come out. Now, when you guys get to the bottom, 10,000-foot drop, there's going to be some trucks. They're going to be there to warmly greet you and safely take you 10 miles back to where you were. Sure enough, they get up in the plane. As they're going up to 10,000-foot elevation, the pessimist starts whining and pining and says, I bet we can't even get to 10,000 feet. We probably won't even get to 10,000 feet. <laughs> sure enough, they get to 10,000 feet, and everybody's supposed to jump. Everybody's jumping out, so he's kind of whining, nonverbal, you know, really not all excited about it. But he jumps out. He jumps out. And at the appropriate time, he puts his right hand up over his left hand, pulls that cord, and wouldn't you know, the parachute doesn't come out. Sure enough, he says, I knew it, I knew it, I knew that parachute wasn't going to come out, I knew that thing wasn't going to happen. So he goes from, he goes back to his training, goes to his left hand, to his right hand, pulls the emergency ripcord, it doesn't come out. He's like, I knew it, I knew it, I knew that thing wasn't going to come out. He's Pump, he's, he's falling to the ground. He's nearly, nearly to the ground. And all the other guys are around him listening. And as he's just getting ready to hit the ground, he says, and I bet those trucks won't be there on time either. <laughs> See, you need, to, you need to have a positive attitude and optimism about the purpose of God for your life. Amen? Number three, write this down. Dis discover your gift and then your direction. Discover your gift and then your direction. In other words, find your gift, find your purpose. Simple. Find your gift, find your purpose. It's so important, and we talked about this a lot last week. If you didn't get that message, go online or get a free CD at Guest Central. But in Romans chapter 12, um, pastors and teachers and theologians, they refer to these seven gifts in Romans chapter 12 often as what's known as the motivational gifts. Uh, in the past, I've taught on the ministry gifts from Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus gave us gifts. One of them is a pastor, evangelist, prophet, teacher, you know, apostle, prophet. But the motivational gifts are in Romans 12. Tonight, I'll talk about the manifest, manifest gifts, the power gifts. You definitely don't want to miss that. But Romans 12, verse 4, it says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to each other. We have different gifts. Everybody say different gifts. Say, my gift's different than your gift. Turn to your neighbor say that. My gift is different than your gift. I didn't say, say it's better. I just said, say it's different, okay? And then it says, it says, we all have different gifts according to the grace. Now, that word grace is not a pretty girl's name or something we say before we eat dinner. No, grace is referring to the word is charis. It means gifts, divine enablements. They're given to you like superpowers. Wonder twin powers activate. Form of, anyway, that's just where my brain goes. But these super, these superhuman or supernatural abilities as we talked about, it's given to you by God. And here come the seven gifts. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. 
faith. If it's serving, and serve. If teaching, teach. Encourage, bring encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so what I want to do is I want to give you some modernizations of these words so you can kind of understand them. And then I'm going to put them like in a context so you see how they work in an environment or everyday life kind of experience. So these motivational gifts, the prophecy gift, I call the motivator. The motivator, okay? This is a person who tries to get people moving down the field to see a lot of times prophecy isn't always this, but a lot of times it's what's forthcoming, what is ahead. Let's get down the field, all right? Then there's the servant, and that's kind of another word for ministry. When you look up the word ministry in the original language, which is Greek, the actual translation is servant. And so a servant is, is a person who just, they want, to, they want to serve people. They want to serve others. This is the person when you go out to eat and you have a meal, before the waiter or waitress comes, they collect everybody's plates and they clean them off. And they put, you know who you are. You're smiling right away. You put them in a pile. Can I take your plate? Can I take your plate? Oh, yeah. And they're scraping plates off. You know what I mean? It's like kind of gross, but they want to have it all organized. And then the waitress comes and like, here you go. You know what I mean? Can I take that for you? They can't help themselves, the servant, all right? (laughs) Then you have the teacher. Now, the teacher uh, is is a person who studies and presents truth to people. My dad is like this. He'll drop something on my desk, some deep, you know, pithy, really heavy-duty truth. It's one on my desk right now. Pastor Deez gets into this sometimes. My son is getting this way, too, as a teacher. And, And a lot of times... These people are in a neophyte stage. This teacher gift is like in its formations. And so they're the ones that like Facebook me and say, Pastor D, when you get a sec, can you explain to me Revelation? <laughs> what? No, I can't. I don't even understand. What are you talking about? Anyway, <laughs> so if you do that, stop it, okay? Stop it. All right, the encourager, the encourager, these people are, they're just so optimistic. They're always finding something positive to say, sometimes about very difficult situations. These, they always have something good to say. Like, you know, you might have lost your job, and they'll just be like, oh, you know, that's okay. There's a better one for you, you know? And, and, and then we're kind of in that Eeyore mode, and, and, and we're trying to stump the encourager. You ever try to stump an encourager? It's like, I want to be down. Stop making me try to be up. You know what I mean? And, and you're like, my house burned down. And then the encourager will be like, you know, it was old. You know what I mean? Like, they, they find something every time. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's incredible, you know? Then you have the giver, okay? The giver, they, they, they're this person who desires to meet needs on a financial basis, and, and they, they don't want to just band-aid it. They really want to cure it. A person who really has that gift of liberality and generosity, they always have a corresponding stewardship with that as well. And then the administrator. This is a person who leads people organizationally. You know, they have a system for their system. Don't break the system. Do you want a system? I want to, they sell systems. Here, I got a system. You want a system? Here, I'll give you like 17 systems. We can go to Dropbox and there's a little folder and a pun wines and just this and it's organized, alphabetical. Blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh my gosh. I know people with this gift. Listen, they eat their, this, this is the kind of people, they eat their food like one thing at a time. You're like, uh-oh, see, I'm spotting you. I'm spotting you right now. I actually know a person who has it, and they eat their French fries from smallest to largest, and they think everybody should do that. Like, what? You don't do that? No, you're really weird. 
All right, I got to move on. The sympathizer, this is a person who identifies with people who are going through a trial or a difficulty, and, and you don't want to profit with you during this time. You want a sympathizer, all right? You want somebody who has that mercy gift. Now, if you were to put this in a context so you see how these things are activated, let me, let me, let me just do like what it would be like to be at a Connect staff meeting, okay? So Connect staff meeting, all these people show up, and they all have different gifts, and so the leader comes, I come as the leader, and I've got an agenda, okay? So I've been working now with, with the leader, the agenda's a big deal. I've been working on this agenda for like three, four hours. So the meeting might be 45 minutes, but I've been mulling this thing over and chewing on this, and I got it all the way it's going to go. And so we need to follow the agenda. So, the, so I present the agenda, and one of the agenda items could be so-and-so lost their job today, and they're out of work, all right? And so as soon as the need is presented... The gifts activate immediately because the gifts that you have were given to you by God to help people. You got to catch this. The gifts you were given by God were given to you to help people. And as soon as that need is presented, those gifts activate. So the first gift that all these people at the staff meeting and the person has the gift of prophecy, the prophet, they step up and they go, oh. Well, you know what? They're probably in sin. And uh, if we get to the root issue of that problem, then this wouldn't even be there. If you let me speak to him, I will charge him and exhort him from the word. Okay? And so that's what the prophet does. I'm minimizing the gift of the prophet. But anyway. And then the teacher gift, they step up and they hear that need because it's activated because the need has been presented. And the teacher says, well, you know, 1 Timothy chapter 3 has five different steps on how to get a job. And, of course, they all start with the, first, the same first letter. So that's how you can remember them. And if you'll just let me talk to that person, I can share with them systematically how to get a job. So the teacher shows up, and that's what happens with them, and, and this gift just kind of moves forward. Now, the encourager, as soon as the leader presented the need, the encourager's already texting the person saying, you can do it, buddy. It's going to be okay. Better days are ahead for you. He's not even paying attention to the rest of the meeting. He's already texting the person. He's, he's gone. He's using his gift, you know? And the giver says, hey, 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 everybody bring it in, bring it in. I think we need to take an offering. Obviously, this person's out of work. They're going to have a little trouble paying their rent. I'll be the first person to give $500, and then we can go in there and do some stewardship classes with them and get them in an FPU group, and I got a book that they can read, and would you guys all like to join me? Pray about it. Let me give you some vision first, but pray about it. I think if we all, we can meet this needle, go away. That's what the giver does, right? And then you have the servant. The servant left the meeting a long time ago, is on their way to Walmart to try to get groceries, to calling people to say, come over and clean the house, and you can help, and let's get on a schedule, and I'll do the first day and leave from the front and that sort of thing. And then the person with the mercy gift is over in the corner crying, just, oh, God, this is, oh, this is awful. It's awful. It's awful. See how the gifts come alive? Everybody getting that? You all have a gift, and they're created to help people, to help people. So now Joseph, back to him. Everybody say back to Joseph. His gift is leadership, leadership, all right? And his gift, you need to understand this, it worked on location wherever he was. It worked at every stage and age of his life. He didn't wait for title or position or some huge platform or promotion. No, he used his gift, and his gift brought him a little bit closer, and he used his gift, and it brought him a little bit closer, and he used his gift, and it brought him a little bit closer to the destiny and the purpose of God for his life. And some of you are sitting back there and saying, once I get the money, then I'll be a giver. Once, I, once that person gives me that opportunity and that position and that's tight and that title, no, you minister now with your gift, and it will bring you to the purpose and plan of God for your life. Amen? 
your ministry. Your ministry now will lead you to your destiny or your purpose then. Can I have an amen out there? So sometimes people say things to me like, well, I don't know my gifts. I'm just telling you, we help you with that. But even if you don't know what your gift is, I'm going to say to you what God said to Moses. 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 (laughs) Now, this particular uh, staff was given to me, my Moses staff. Some of my staff used to call me the young Moses. They gave it when I was installed as a senior pastor. Some of you have seen this before. But God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, I think somewhere around there, and he says to Moses, what's in your hand? See, some of you are like, I don't know, I don't know my gift. I can't, what can I do? Well, how can I help? What, 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 can, what can I contribute? And I would say what God says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What do you have that can be used by God? See, Moses had, this staff represented, it was symbolic of different things. It was symbolic of his identity, his income, and his influence. He was a shepherd. That's who he was. He was a shepherd. This is symbolic of his identity. And if he would use what, what, what his identity would lead him to connections and to opportunities. This represented his wherewithal. Like he, we didn't ha- they didn't have Amex and Visa and bank accounts and checks. They had, they had sheep was where all your, your affluence was preceded your influence. And so he was a shepherd. And, and all, his, all his sheep were his, were his money, his resources. You have resources. You have resources. Are you using any of them for God? You have, your identity, have you surrendered your identity to God? You have, you have influence. The, the staff Moses had was to get people from point A to point B. See, God took what was in Moses' hand and said, if you'll, and he says to Moses, lay that thing down. He says, lay that thing down. Surrender that. Surrender your identity. Surrender your income. Surrender your influence. And he laid that thing down. He said, if you'll lay that thing down, and that's what he says to you and says to me, then it'll come alive. And when you lay down what is in your hand to God, your identity, your income, and your influence, then what God wants to do in your life will come alive. And the greatest miracles that ever happened through the life of Moses happened through what was in his hand. And the greatest miracles that will happen in your life is when you lay down what God has given you and you use it for God, and that's when it comes alive, and that's when the greatest miracles will happen in your life through you. Amen? Amen. So what are you going to do with what God's given you? What are you going to do with the creativity? What are you going to do with the ingenuity and ideas? And and what are you going to do with your musical talent? What are you going to do with your financial capabilities? Are you going to wait until you get to a certain point and then you're going to do something great? God's saying, no, no. Dude, be generous now. He says, command those who are rich in this world to give generously. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, what are you going to do? What if Joseph didn't use his gift at every stage and age along the way? He was with the baker and the butler, and he interpreted a dream, and it brought him into Pharaoh's palace. But what if he was whining and pining, or I'm too busy, or all these knockdowns and knockouts, forget it, I'm out. No, he always kept getting back up because he believed he had a purpose. Because he trusted that God was in control, that his gift would lead to the direction and plan of God for his life. You need to be faithful with your gift and remember what God has given you is for a purpose. Can I have an amen out there? Here's my last point. Fill this in. Determine your direction and be faithful. Determine your direction and be faithful. Now, a lot of times people say, well, what about the specific plan of God? What about, you know, 
Who am I supposed to marry? Can I know that? Who is it him or her? Who, who, what kind of job, career, occupation, role? Can I know that? Can I know the specific plan of God for your life? There's a lot I could say about that, but ultimately, let me just say this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And here's, here's, my, here, here's the next question that always comes up. When? When can I know that? When can I know that? And here's my answer. After you do them. After you do them. That's when you can know is after you do them. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It doesn't say it's a bright spotlight so that I can see all the way down the road. You just take one step, use your gift, take another step, use your gift, take another step, use your gift, and God will lead you to his purpose and plan for your life. I can't tell you the specific purpose for your life. God can, but I don't think he will because you, you, you'd get all messed up. You'd get all messed up along the way. You need to just be faithful. Be faithful. Let me read you a closing story about John Wesley and his diaries. John Wesley was one of the greatest preachers of the 1700s. He preached over 40,000 sermons, rode on horseback 4,500 miles a year on horseback, preaching four to five times a day. And, And this was in his journal. It says this. Just, just in a couple of weeks, this is what happened. I want you to see the faithfulness to the gift. It says, Sunday morning, May 5th, preached in St. Anne's. It was, taken, it was told as a result of preaching there not to come back anymore. Sunday night, May 5th, preached in St. John's, and the deacon said, get out and never come back. Sunday morning, May 12th, preached in St. Jude's. They can't go back there either. I like the way he says this next one. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's, and the deacons called a special meeting and said I could never return. Sunday night, May 19th, preached on the street and was kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May 26th, preached in the meadow and was chased out of the meadow because they released a bull, turned it loose to disturb the service. It's not going well for this guy at all. June 2nd, preached off the edge of town, kicked off the highway. He keeps getting farther and farther out. Now watch this one. Sunday night, June 2nd, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came to hear me. See, you need to be faithful with your gift. Find it and be faithful with it, and God will reveal to you your purpose. Can you stand to your feet and let me pray for you? I've gone way over time today. Praise the Lord. With every head bowed, please, eyes closed, just honoring the person to your right or to your left, behind you, just be very still. This is the most important moment of the service is to connect the dots, what God said to what now I need to hear and do. I would just say this. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? How is he speaking to you personally right now? Some of you have not discovered the purpose of God for your life, and God wants to reveal that to you. And his charge is this. Find your gift. Learn about it. Use it. If you're not clear, use what's in your hand and God will make it clear to you what your gift is. Every step of the way, every stage and age and location and place you are in your life, be willing to use your gift. Outside these four walls, use your gift, the Lord would say to you. And if you're here today and, and you need to connect at a different level, in other words, to find your, pers- to find your purpose and plan of God, you got to connect with God himself. And the way that connection is made by coming to Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man, Jesus. 
If you've never made a personal connection with God, I'm not talking about religion and going to church and uh, I'm going to be a part of this church now. This isn't about joining a club. This is about joining Jesus, coming to relationship with Jesus, trusting in not what you do, but what's been done, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you've never done that. He wants to know you, know you personally, but he wants you to invite him into your life. I did that. It changed my life. I'm a different person, not just because I found my purpose. I'm a different person because I first found Jesus Christ, whom to know aright is life eternal. That relationship began to today and it goes on forever and ever and ever it's beyond just this temporary life and this temporary assignment and all the tests with it and i want you to know that same that same jesus and if you know he's speaking to you and he's knocking on your heart right now he did that for me too and all you need to do is respond i'm not going to call you down front or embarrass you but i want you to raise your hand boldly and say that's me i want you to pray for me good and high don't miss this opportunity bless you bless you yes sir yes ma'am yes 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 sir don't want to miss it all the way in the back i see you in the right thank you sir Thank you, ma'am. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Thank you, sir, over here. That's so awesome. Praise God. Praise God. You can put your hands down. Just if you're listening online, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Those of you listening in this room, pray this prayer. This prayer won't save you, but believing in your heart will. Just say this sincerely. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. I admit that I can't do it without you. I can't find my path by myself. You put eternity in my heart and you can make sense about what I cannot fathom when I find Jesus. I want to be known by you and I want to make you known from this day forward in the name of Jesus. Let me pray for you. The Bible says those that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Every single person that said that prayer, Lord, they are saved and their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. They're no longer the same, never the same, never, 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 never the same in Jesus' name. And the Bible says when one sinner repents, the angels rejoice. And so we as a church right now, come on everybody, we rejoice with the angels because of those that came home.